Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Welcome to Back from the Borderline Emotional Alchemy in Your Pocket. I'm trying out new taglines. It's either going to be like Emotional Alchemy in Your Pocket or Your Weekly Dose of Emotional Alchemy. Alchemy, Alchemy, Alchemy. That was my own uh, fade out echo effect. As you can see, I'm uh, feeling a little spicy today. Thought I'd bring like a little bit of radio announcer vibes to that intro. Also, for OG listeners of the podcast, new listeners, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, You'll have heard that that was like the OG podcast intro and music. And I'm like, let me just bring this back because I edited that little, this hocus pocus is supposed to be scientific thing at the beginning of that little stock music. And I was like, (laughs) I was so proud of myself when I made that. And I'm like, why don't I use that intro anymore? So here it is. It's back. It's what I call nostalgia. But I hope that wherever you are, my listener, you're doing well this week. And if you are not doing so well, then I really hope that this episode can be a comfort to your day and fill you with the voices and words of people who understand what it feels like to be going through what you're going through. I wanted to read and thank Satsuki for this amazing email. So Satsuki writes, Hello Molly, I have so many good things to say to you, hard to know where to start. I'm going through a very difficult phase to better understand my own brain and my way of thinking. I found your podcast after identifying with a lot of symptoms of BPD, but all the videos I watched seemed very extreme and not all of the items were checked. When I started listening to your podcast, it was like you were transcribing situations and feelings that were inside me, and I was never able to put into words or understand in a less hateful way. I'm still very confused of whether I have BPD or just some traits, but what I learned and remembered through therapy was how I grew up with such a punitive and violent upbringing. My parents beat me until I was pre-adolescent. Even once, they both did it at the same time. I was so desperate but I managed to shut it down so well and became a very reactive, aggressive person when triggered. Your podcasts have been helping me deal with my thoughts and my emotions, especially because I'm in a healthy relationship where my partner is willing to understand and be very gentle with my reactions and emotions. Thank you so much for doing all of this. I can imagine how this is difficult, but you really make our lives better. Thank you, Satsuki. Thank you for that, Satsuki. As I said last week, these kinds of messages mean a lot to me. It isn't easy to make a podcast at all, but especially making a podcast where you talk about your own really painful and most personal emotions. So it isn't easy, but what makes it worthwhile is receiving messages exactly like yours. I just want to say that I am so sorry that that was your experience growing up. I'm so sorry that the people who 
we're supposed to love and protect you and guide you in the world contributed to so much pain and trauma and set you up for, I'm sure, a long recovery journey. But it sounds like you are incredibly self-aware and that you are in a great partnership. And I'm so grateful to hear that. And I just am sending you my biggest hugs and all my love. And I'm so, so grateful to have you here as part of this podcast family. This podcast has changed and transformed so much. When I first started it, I was really at the beginning of everything. I was just trying to figure it out. I was where a lot of listeners are just kind of wondering, like, do I have this thing called BPD? What is this thing? And why doesn't my psychiatrist want to give me the label? Why is he telling me it will damage my future if I have this label. And so I started this podcast when I was curious and I was also like dead set on wanting to get a BPD diagnosis. And so for those of you who have been listening for a long time, you know that my views have changed so much and my true feeling at this point of making this podcast is Everything that we experience as people who identify with these traits of BPD, all those symptoms, all those feelings rather, even the fact that we call them symptoms, like they're an illness, this, these reactions, the huge emotions, the feelings, all of this stuff is so real. The pain, the suffering, right? Symptoms is so clinical. The suffering is real. The experience is real. But I have grown to a point where I don't align with feeling like we are permanently disordered. And when I was viewing my myself through this distor- disorder lens, there was a beginning of deep empowerment because I knew what was quote unquote wrong. And then I also found a community of people who are really supportive and all of these things were really great. But what just kept sticking for me was every time I would read something about BPD, it would always say, you know, there is no cure or remission is possible and all of these things. And even just the word disordered, the activist in me, the just free thinker in me started to question these things. And so now I think that the BPD community and the cluster of symptoms having um, this name allows people to find my podcast. It allows people like Satsuki to find me, right? But I'm now at a place where I'm okay saying I really think we have a long way to go when it comes to the systems that be categorizing these things properly and setting up a system to where people are not pathologized or suffer because of a label that's given to them. And so now I'm grateful for the cluster of symptoms that is known as BPD being lobbed together on the internet so that all of us people with huge feelings can find each other. But if there's anything I've learned about myself since starting this podcast a year and a half ago is that When you make your entire life about self-awareness and self-compassion, because those things have to be together. If you're purely self-aware without the self-compassion, you're going to beat the shit out of yourself the entire way down your recovery path. But if you have self-compassion, you're okay with making a little bit of progress at a time, 
resting along the way and seeing it as like a beautiful, never-ending journey. I recognize that I have changed so much when I've made my whole life about this and that there was nothing ever disordered about my personality. I just had a bunch of programming and coping mechanisms and was completely not nurtured in the right way in terms of what healthy relationships looked like and emotional support. I just needed to go back to emotional school and find the resources and things that worked for me for my particular biotemperament. And that's what I want for every single one of you. And Satsuki, it sounds like you're finding things that will help you. And I'm so happy to hear that you're in therapy and that you have supportive partnership with someone. These are all the ingredients. Self-awareness, a really great therapist if you can... um, have access to one, good resources that you feel like help you. My podcast might be that for someone and it might not be for someone else. Supportive relationships and a blossoming sense of self-awareness. You've got all those things and I'm just so happy for you and proud of you and thank you for writing to share that with me and with the rest of the listeners. If you ever want to write me an email about how the podcast has impacted you. And if you prefer writing over voicemails, you can always do that. And always you can use uh, the Apple podcast to leave a review and ask a question and all that stuff too. So don't hesitate to write your feedback or write your question in because some people just aren't as comfortable with the voicemails. So again, thank you, Satsuki, for that. So today's voicemail that I'm going to be playing is from Jade. And the sound quality of this one is a little trickier to hear because I think she's outside or in a car, but stick with it. And thank you all for being patient because I can't ship my my listeners professional quality microphones for these voicemails. So yeah, the audio quality is a little tricky, but stay with it. And I am excited to react to this one for this episode. Hi, Molly. My name is Jade and I'm 25, living in Minnesota. Um, I just wanted to call in and say thank you. Um, You really make me feel like I'm not crazy and I'm not alone. Granted, I haven't been diagnosed with BPD as of right now. I've been waiting to get an actual neurological testing for the past six months now. I'm still on a list for that. but I am in a very toxic relationship right now, and he makes me feel like I am actually insane. Um, so I always come to your podcast to know that I am not by myself, and other people think how I do, and other people feel how I do, and I'm not the only one on this earth. Um, and I'm not some terrible and evil, vile person who sucks the life out of people for the most part. (laughs) Uh, So I just wanted to say thank you. And I love hearing you. And thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for that voicemail, Jade. I'm really sorry to hear that you are feeling pretty unheard in your relationship. It sounds like nobody wants to feel like their partner says or insinuates that they are a crazy person No one deserves to be told that they're a terrible person or an evil person or that you suck the life out of people. 
This is a lot to unpack, and it's also only about a minute and 30 of you speaking, and so I am going to react to this, but I also just want to make a disclaimer. Obviously, I've only heard Jade in this very short voicemail here, and we're only hearing one side of the situation, and so I'm going to do my best to react to this, but just know that I'm only going based upon that very little bit of context. So we're just going to kind of be like taking a few different directions with this. The reason why I decided to play Jade's voicemail was just, it sounded like I could have left a voicemail just like this six or seven years ago. And I recognize the emotional vibration for lack of a better word. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I've been there. I've been in that space but I'll be doing my best to just provide as broad of a response as possible and imagining a few different realities that could be going on when the emotional flavor is similar to that of Jade's in this voicemail that she sent. I think it will be something that many of you can relate to. And I feel like I make this disclaimer every episode, but I'd rather be safe than sorry because lots of people are finding the podcast lately. Just a reminder. I am someone with lived experience of these things, not a therapist, not a doctor, just someone who has been there, who identifies with a lot of these traits, who had really tumultuous relationships for a long time and is on the journey along with you. So it's more like tough love, big sister vibes advice from somebody who gets it. So if you're new, that's what we do here. I never want to tell anyone what to do. It is just hear my thoughts and reactions and always, 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 you know yourself best. You are your best advocate and I only have a tiny little shred of context to deal with. So anything I share is very hypothetical and you will have to use your own judgment. But most of my listeners are aware of this, but I feel like it's, it bears repeating sometimes. So let's do our best to summarize what Jade is sharing here. It sounds like there is tension in the relationship, big time to put it mildly, right? This partner of hers is telling her that she's actually insane, that she might be not the best person, that she's evil, that she's sucking the life out of people. And Jade feels like coming to the podcast helps her realize that there are people that feel the way she does and feels safe and secure. And Jade, I think it would be so easy for me to say, oh, your partner is a piece of shit. Break up with him. He's abusing you. He's gaslighting you. All of that. And while there is a reality where all of that is true and I could give that advice and that could be the best advice for you. I feel like we can unpack this a lot and I think there's a lot to dig into here and it's not so simple just as with anything in life that involves two people with two very subjective experiences and all sorts of different traumas and triggers It's very complicated. Love and relationships and intimacy is very complicated. And it can be the hardest dynamic for someone who identifies with traits that 
are similar to BPD, but anything like CPTSD too, anything that involves a lot of abandonment and trauma from when you were growing up and maybe the people that you needed to count on weren't there and they didn't help you develop a secure feeling within yourself that you would be okay, that can set us up, people like us, for a lifetime of feeling like we never are are, are okay. And we are trying to grasp and desperately fill that hole with people who we project our, our feelings of needing to feel safe and loved and cared for. It's like a, a constant grasping. And I feel like BPD just doesn't even do it justice. It's just, it hurts. It's a lot of suffering, but there is hope to come out of this. If your boyfriend is actually saying to you, because here's the thing, your voicemail, I couldn't tell if you were just kind of saying like, you think that this is how he actually feels, but maybe he hasn't ever said it. So there's that. But if he actually did say these things to you, (laughs) that you are a terrible person, an evil person, someone who sucks the life out of people, um, that you're insane, you know, I don't think you need me to tell you that that is not a healthy way to communicate with someone. It's not okay, right? But I also know this isn't a black and white situation. If we looked at the timeline of mine and Zaz's relationship, there's probably a lot of things that if I listed it out on paper, all of you would say, that's not okay. And Zaz didn't break up with me. You know, Zaz has done a few things in our relationship where maybe people are like, oh, he's totally invalidating you or da-da-da, right? But we have made it through. And through some really hard times, lots of fights in our early relationship, I can now say I am in the most stable relationship ever. And I, there were multiple times in our relationship where I was like, this is toxic for both of us. So the thing is, I'm not going to be the person that's going to show up and say this guy is a toxic, gaslighting, abusive, narcissist asshole right off the bat because it's just oftentimes and all the time more complicated than that. You know that if you are in like an objectively abusive relationship where you are feeling horrible 100% of the time, then you know what you need to do, right? You should not be with someone like that. But a lot of times it's very, very complicated and there's hurt and not okay, quote unquote, things going on on both sides. Let's explore a reality where your boyfriend is actually saying those things to you. You are crazy. You suck the life out of people. Everything is about your symptoms or what is wrong with you. Gaslighting is way overdone. And I actually think many people that talk a lot about gaslighting or call something gaslighting, they don't exactly know what it is. And I say that if you can't provide a definition for something off the cuff, you should probably not even be using it. That's why a lot of people throw the words gaslighting, narcissist around, and it's just unhelpful. But in this case, if that is the reality and you are being called crazy and it's, it's all about making you insane. I feel like it's worth visiting what gaslighting actually is. So let's take a trip down gaslighting lane. <laughs> gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation where 
a person in this instance, because it can be a person or a group, makes someone question their memories, their perceptions, or their sanity. And this is done usually in order to gain control, power, or influence over the victim. Examples of gaslighting in a romantic relationship could include denying that a certain event or conversation took place, making you doubt your own recollection of events. However, I will say that there have been times when I actually do not remember a situation very well when I very cockily claimed to because maybe I was like blackout or something. So just saying, sometimes we say, where are you gaslighting me? And then you come back and you're like, oh, maybe I actually did forget that because I was blackout. (laughs) I digress. Another example of gaslighting, constantly shifting the blame to the victim for problems in the relationship, ding, ding, ding. So like, if he's doing that to you, you're crazy. You're the problem. It's all about your BPD, blah, blah, blah. That is gaslighting, right? Telling the person that uh, their feelings and experiences aren't valid. Questioning your memory or perception of events. Telling you that you're crazy or unstable. So like if he is actually saying those things to you and it's just not something that you're like sure he believes that, that is pretty much textbook gaslighting. Does that mean that if someone is saying those things that they immediately deserve to get broken up with and that they're a toxic, horrible person? Well, again, it's not that black and white because if someone would have dumped me or kicked me out of their life every time I did something emotionally reactive and hurtful, I would have no one around me right now. And many of people in the world wouldn't. Unfortunately, we don't necessarily go through life wanting to hurt people. We sometimes react emotionally and impulsively and reactively, right? We react reactively, but you get what I'm saying. So sometimes we have a really hard time giving other people the benefit of the doubt, but then in the same breath, we want all of their forgiveness too. And I'm just like, that's kind of tough love Molly for a minute, right? Because I'm never going to come on here and just say, dump the asshole. He's a toxic narcissist. Because even if someone gaslights you, you've probably gaslit someone too. I mean, I I know I have. None of us are perfect. So it's more helpful for us to look at this through a more nuanced approach. Now, if your partner throws your symptoms in your face and acts like he isn't doing anything wrong himself, then that is defensiveness and that's often used as self-protection so honestly it's probably not something that's intentionally done to hurt or even to vilify you but sadly that's the outcome i think sometimes too we expect a lot out of our partners and we almost expect more out of them than we expect out of ourselves so our partners are fallible messy humans just trying to get through this experience just like we are and so i'd ask have the two of you spoken to each other about what your triggers are because there's a high likelihood that maybe something you're doing in a triggered moment is triggering his triggers and then it's just trigger city right (laughs) 
his defensiveness is maybe triggering your fear of abandonment. And sometimes just talking about what your triggers are and a time when you're both regulated and calm with the intention of really trying to be more of a team, because it's likely that neither one of you like fighting. So talking about what these triggers are, it can make you realize and go, wow, we're falling into this same argument pattern. And it's like a copy and paste argument. That's what I call them is like, aren't you tired of having these copy and paste arguments? You say the same thing and then they react the same way. And then you're always back to a point where you're like, what the fuck are you even fighting about anymore? What if you approached arguments like someone says something that hurt you and you say, Hey, that hurt. Hearing that from you really hurts. I know we both love each other. Can we just take a moment to breathe? And I want us to not forget that we're a partnership in this. I know you want to feel heard, valued, and seen. I want the same thing. And I think this is getting too heated right now. And we're going to say things we don't mean. Because what you just said hurt. And you'll be surprised that if you don't keep escalating it back and forth and you disarm the matter like that, and you, can, and you can say it in a really calm voice, you'll be surprised at what can be achieved. But it's hard when the argument and conflict just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter, and then eventually someone is going to snap, especially if you're with someone who maybe you're quite often the more emotional one, and Maybe it feels like your problems take precedent in the relationship. This is a self-call out, by the way. I am by no means saying this is you, Jade. But sometimes partners can like really, that resentment can build and build and build. And it can cause people to really snap and say things they don't mean. Because they just feel like they are like never able to be an equal character in the show that is maybe your recovery process and your emotional roller coaster. And that can be really, really difficult dynamic for a partner to navigate. And it can lead to them feeling resentful and then resentful and then snapping and saying things that they don't mean. And here's the thing, when you're trying to get better and control your triggers it's really important that you are with a partner who is on board with wanting to understand themselves better too, because you can't be doing this alone. You're, you're in a relationship together. And in order to make this a healthy partnership, the two of you have to look within yourselves and want to be a better communicator, want to know when the other person is hurt so that you can find a way through that together. It can't just be one person who is quote unquote, the problem changing. So unless your partner is willing to own his own issues and you both work together to find compromises so you don't trigger each other as much, then if I'm taking big sister Molly stance here, I would suggest that maybe this relationship isn't the right one for you because you can't make someone want to work on themselves. That has to be a natural thing that comes up from within them. And it can't be an ultimatum either. You both deserve a partner who will be supportive, patient, and understanding to what's going on emotionally and mentally with one another 
You both deserve someone who can help support you as you become the best version of yourself and someone who will make you feel secure enough to be able to openly share what you're going through. You seem like you have a really good head on your shoulders. And so I know that when you think about all these things, you will have that gut feeling. My little sister did one of the wisest things for me many years ago. And I was when I was with a very abusive person shortly after the end of my marriage. And I ended up with a really abusive guy. And I went back and forth and back and forth on whether or not I was going to break up with this guy. And it actually ended up him screaming at my sister to make me decide that that enough was enough. But I remember going to my sister and my, I said to my sister, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I need to break up with him or whatever. And you know how it is. You're going to every friend. You're like talking through every scenario. You want someone to tell you what to do. And my sister said, you know, inside what you need to do. You already know it. So just do what you know that you have to do. And I was like, and and I knew, I knew, I knew it had to end. So I say that to you too, of like, and any listener who's out there, if you are going back and forth and you want someone to tell you, look inside, you know what the right choice is, you know, and you need to listen to that little voice. Another big sister advice, put some serious thought into what you get out of this relationship versus how much you put into it. That's something to think about. But also another thing, I suggest that the two of you potentially, if you can afford to do so, if you have access to do so, consider going to therapy together as a couple. I mentioned before, yes, there is a timeline, a reality where this guy is just a manipulative asshole who's gaslighting you, or it's possible that maybe he's legitimately concerned and he has just a really, really shitty and ineffective way of expressing his concern. But even if he is actually concerned, there's still a concern on my side whether it's because you actually display alarming slash crazy, I hate that word, behaviors, or if he's the one who has the problem with empathy and being able to see things from someone else's perspective. But regardless, if he really thinks that there's a problem and that you're crazy, then he shouldn't hesitate to agree to couples counseling. And if he gets defensive or kind of cagey about that situation, insisting that he shouldn't have to go since you're the one with the problem, I think if you were my little sister, I would say run, run, run very far. Try to do your best and get curious right now. Well, I should make a a t-shirt that says, get curious. Don't get crazy. Get curious. (laughs) Don't get crazy. Get curious because you just need to start asking questions and start putting those in your back pocket. I'm not talking about intentionally quizzing someone or testing them. It's more just gathering information and observing. So if you suggest something like going to therapy and saying that would really be supportive for you and you feel like that's something that you can have access to and this is a person that's shutting you down, instead of getting into a fight about it, just go, okay, I understand. Put that information in your pocket. Continue about your life and just continue making a genuine effort 
to approach him and say, you know, I really want to talk about when we get into arguments and about how we can make this a situation where we don't, where it doesn't end up in us saying things that are really hurtful to one another, right? That's approaching someone differently rather than saying, we need to, we need to talk about you hurting my feelings, right? It's like, well, you are hurting each other's feelings. How can we work through this? And if this person just continues to make you feel like you're the problem and it is like a defensive, deflective situation, and it's actually feeling like a gaslighting, then you need to really ask yourself, is it worth the energy you're expending on trying to change someone to someone they're not? To try to force someone to be ready to be the person that you deserve? That's also not fair of an expectation. So I say to you, the words of my wise sister, again, is go within. You really know if it's that bad and to where you think it's a lost cause. Can you zoom out 10 years in the future and do you really want to be dealing with the same problem that you're dealing with now with the same person? Zooming out can really put that into some quick perspective. One or two huge fights a month puts you pretty deep into high conflict territory. It's not a good environment for kids if they're around. It's not a good environment for you, for your internal world, for either one of you. And so this is something that really does call for counseling or therapy of some kind if you can access it. If you feel like it's a relationship that has legs and that the two of you genuinely want to make it work together. As I said, it can't be some kind of ultimatum situation. And just about every couple needs help with communication and navigating triggers. This is not new. This is very common. Give therapy a shot before you jump on thinking someone is abusive. That's kind of what I'm thinking. It's always really helpful to get an unbiased professional outside opinion before you start going down the gaslighter narcissist content rabbit hole. And this might seem like a silly one, but have you really sat down with him and asked him to stop saying these kinds of things? And as I mentioned before, it's so important that these kinds of conversations are had when energy is really calm and settled and you're not popping up in a really inopportune moment. Timing and tone of voice is everything in these scenarios. And if you're anything like me, you're that person that's like, and one more thing after an argument, like you always have to have the last word. You're like always going to be like, okay, we need to talk about this right now. Right. (laughs) It's just not a good way to come at somebody. It's much better to wait Also, if you just give yourself some waiting time, you'd be surprised more things come to you. You'll feel like you can actually communicate and articulate yourself better. When I enter any situation super dysregulated, even if I'm all fired up and I think I have the best like points to make, I'm not being present in the moment. I'm all dysregulated and I always walk away from those encounters having massive regrets about the shit that I said. So I can't recommend enough stepping away and taking some time before you approach something like this and have a conversation like this. It's like the day after, 
right? And I'm not saying two or three days, just sleep on it is, is very, very good advice. It might be helpful to explain to him that when he calls you crazy or says that you suck a life out of people, explain how that makes you feel and maybe even explain how it takes you back to a, a point in your childhood where you felt like that. And maybe ask him if he's ever felt like that. Sometimes that can really, really help just breaking it down in this way. But regardless, you know, explain to him how that makes you feel. Ask him why he says those things. You'd be surprised if you say, is there a reason why you use those words? Sometimes when someone has to actually explain and go into it, they can kind of make themselves understand how it could hurt. And it's also possible that he has no idea that saying those things exacerbates the situation. I'm not referring to your boyfriend or your partner as if they're a dog, so just know that. But behavior modifiers are real. People sometimes need to be reminded again and again and again to do something in order to start a new pattern. I mean, it's just it's just the way our brains work. And it would be really nice if we told our partner one time that something they did hurt us and they do it again, we have to just keep addressing it. And again, you'll know if it's a matter of them just needing more time and you need to give them the benefit of the doubt and heal together, or you'll know that this person has no interest in changing or wanting to work together on this. That's just a gut check reaction that you're going to have on your own. Also, I don't know if you've considered that maybe there is something going on with him um, that you are unaware of where this is just a symptom or a reaction of him lashing out. And I wouldn't be surprised if he came clean that he might be frustrated and maybe doesn't know how to tell you something. So I would say give it a shot sitting him down in a calm moment and having this conversation about, hey, I don't want this to end in a fight. I'm doing my best to work on being the best version of myself that I can be. And I know this hasn't been easy on either of us. And let them know I specifically chose this moment so that we could be in a calm environment and talk about how we can start de-escalating our arguments because we're in this together. I love you. And sometimes you'll be the one to say something triggering, or maybe it will be me, but one of us sets it off. And then it feels like we start acting like we hate each other instead of loving each other. And I know that you're frustrated and I'm frustrated, but how can we work together? And then just say, for example, it really hurts me when you say things that I suck the life out of people or that I'm crazy. And I'd really like to talk about how that makes me feel and then let the conversation unfold from there. Ask him why he chooses to say those things, etc. But you get the gist. It's all about timing, tone, and delivery and really planning how you want this to go in terms of your opening liners, you can't plan how a conversation is going to go because otherwise you're going to not be in the present moment, but plan that opener and then listen, don't snap 
and be the love in the room. That always helps me. Be the love in the room. Be the love for yourself. Be the love for the little kid inside of the person that you're talking to. And be the love in the room. You can always make the best decision if you focus on that. So I hope, Jade, that this advice was helpful for you. I have no doubt that you will do the best thing for you, that you will take all of this advice, take what resonates with you, leave the rest. And it's also my hope that anyone else listening to the podcast here today will find some help and validation in what I've shared too. So that's it for this week's episode. Thank you, returning listeners. Welcome to the fam. New listeners will be closing this episode as usual with a little clip of my second podcast, My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health. This podcast is a private offering for my premium submarines. So if you'd like to join us, you can do that by visiting backfromtheborderline.com and clicking unlock premium. My premium submarines also receive my monthly newsletter. They get to engage with one another and they get a whole ass second podcast. So why not join us? If you do not want to miss next week's episode, make sure that you are following the podcast. All you have to do is click the little plus icon on most major podcast applications. If you're not following us on Instagram, why not? Go to at back from the borderline, hit the follow button, and you will see all of the lovely memes that I'm posting basically on the daily, on the reg. I share articles and my stories that are inspiring me. So you can come join the fun. Lots of good comments going on there. But until next time, I hope you enjoy this super fabulous preview of my second podcast, My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health. What's up, everybody? We're on another stupid walk for our stupid mental health. It's a little treacherous out here this morning for me. We had an ice storm where I live and so many trees just got broken. And right now I am feeling like zombie apocalypse style. Like I'm trying to avoid all these broken trees that are on the road. And Cody's tiny ass little legs can barely navigate around it. So... I'm having to walk mostly on the street and not in my really pretty nature path that I typically walk on. So if you hear more car noises in this episode, sorry about that, but we literally can't even walk into our path because all the poor trees are just destroyed. It's super sad. Cody's having a sneeze attack right now. Can you guys hear it? You okay, Cody? She's just walking and just like sneezing like eight times in a row. I don't know what's going on. So this week has been okay for me. I'm not going to lie. I am, I'm feeling really burnt out. I don't know about any of you. I struggle a lot with overwhelm and burnout. And this week has been one of those, one of those times And whenever I'm burnt out, that's when 
I start noticing my mental health really going downhill. And a lot of that has to do with me becoming really identified with my emotions and with things that are going on around me. And I read something this week about someone saying that the easiest way to combat mental health spirals is to avoid becoming identified with things and to be constantly monitoring your mind and your thoughts and recognizing when you're going down those rabbit holes. So what does it mean to become identified with a problem or identified with an emotion? For me, it looks like when I get an email or someone says something to me and I immediately make it all about me, I feel my anger or my anxiety rise up in my chest and then I start making a story about it in my mind. And then I ruminate on it and I'm thinking about it or I text a friend about it and I feel the need to vent about it and then I just feel the emotion and the anger the anxiety getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, it's become my whole day. And I, looking back, I recognize that this has been a pattern in my life. And even when Zaz first met me, he just said, I've never been around someone where there's just so much drama, you know, in their own mental existence. And maybe you'll relate with that too. Because as I've been reflecting, I just recognize how overly identified with things I get. So what have I been doing to combat that lately? Constant monitoring of my thoughts and my emotions, but not in an unhealthy way. Not in a way where I'm beating the shit out of myself. Because that's really important. It's really easy when we're on these healing journeys to make it become unhealthy. We need to have balance in all things. And being mindful doesn't mean being shaming or obsessive where it takes over our lives. But when you start just monitoring the feelings and thoughts that pop into your mind with a level of self-compassion, you really start to recognize how much shit you do and say and think that is sort of like not even your own. It doesn't even belong to you. It's like the animal version of yourself, the scared, fearful creature inside of you sort of running your life. And you recognize how many of your actions and reactions don't even belong to you either. And when you start recognizing that, it actually starts getting a little bit scary at first. It's scary at first because you're going, whoa, my whole life hasn't even really been controlled by me. It's been controlled by my emotions and my reactions. I haven't really made any of these decisions consciously. I'm just like a bull in a china shop running around fucking reacting to shit 
And when you really sit back, it can make a lot of sense why your life might be the way that it is. If this is the way you've been living too. And there's a big chance that it is because I think that the vast majority of us in society are living this way. Now, how do I monitor my feelings? Me and Cody are about to get hit by a car. Come on, come on, come on, come on. How do I monitor my feelings and reactions without it letting take over, letting take it over? I can't talk today, y'all. Without letting it take over my life. Well, here's how. Let's just say that I'm sitting down for a day of work and the cars are on fleek, my friends. I'm really, really sorry that you're going to be hearing a lot of car noises. I'm going to try to get into like a little cul-de-sac of houses so it doesn't sound like I'm walking along a highway while I'm talking to you. Monitoring your thoughts and your reactions without letting it consume your life or become something that becomes unhealthy and neurotic looks like this. You wake up in the morning and how many times do you wake up in the morning and immediately, you know that feeling when you wake up and you are like, ah, a new day. And then immediately, boom, you're hit with your anxieties right away. It's like, oh, I have to go to work. Oh, I have all this stuff to do. Oh, immediately, immediately you're taken away from the present moment. You might've even had a dream, but you know how it feels when you wake up and you know you had a dream and you can remember it. But then the moment that you just start thinking about something else, you can't even remember your dream anymore. It's gone. So what I do is I wake up in the morning and I notice, I start to try to pay attention to when my thoughts go straight to my anxieties or straight to the past and future about something that happened yesterday, something that might happen today. We waste so much of our lives thinking about shit that already happened that we can't change and shit that's going to happen in the future that hasn't even happened yet. But sometimes we make those things become true, manifest, as cheesy as that word has become now, I can't even really hear the word manifest anymore without cringing, but we do. We manifest these dramatic, awful things happening in our lives sometimes because we give so much thought to it. We give so much emotion to it. Emotion is energy in motion. We're ruminating about all the worst things. So I have been having to constantly notice when my brain is doing this and I consciously go, no, that's the past or the future. I'm in the present now. I'm safe here now in this moment. And all I can do is be here now. I constantly am reminding myself throughout the day, be here now, be here now. And I encourage you to do this. Tell yourself, I'm safe here now. Be here now. This is you stepping into the role of your own good enough parent. It's likely that you grew up with people who were caring for you that thought the world was a scary place full of bad people. Maybe you watched your caregivers' relationships be completely dramatic. 
Your caregivers may have been paranoid, may have taken their anger out on you. And there's no point in us saying, woe is me about this stuff, right? Yes, we have to give ourselves compassion, but if we stay there, we're just going to become bitter ass adults who are just another grown person whining about their past. And I know that might sound a bit savage, but I'm recognizing that, right? A a young child coming to you and saying like, I'm in a dangerous situation at home. They're powerless, right? That's why it breaks my heart. We just had a CPS officer outside of our house the other day. And Zaz and I were discussing, like, I wonder what's going on with that child, knowing that a child is living very close to me that's clearly having, you know, some kind of welfare check on on its being fills me with sadness. Obviously, I don't know the reality behind the situation. But as adults, we're no longer powerless. It can feel like that. But as I look around on the internet, and I include myself in this, everything I ever say is like a self-call out as well. We're all just so wrapped up in our upbringings. A lot of us are so wrapped up in wanting to say, fuck my parents. If What if my parents wouldn't have done this? Where would I be? What's the point in living in that reality? That's what I've realized lately. I don't want to live in that reality anymore. My parents had really fucked up shit happen to them in their childhood, both of them. They didn't have the resources when I was growing up. They were doing their best. Was there a lot of shit they could have done better? Yes. But I'm here right now in this moment. And all the shit that happened to me, I can either use as a way to keep myself stuck and blame other people. Or I can use it as power and fuel to be the change that I want to see. I'm full of fuel and fire there because I recognized how much time, even in the very beginning of doing this podcast, how I talked about childhood and my anger towards my parents, my resentment. You know, if you started off the podcast listening in early on, and I think that's actually an important part of our journeys that we all must go on. We have to go back into the past, not to blame though, but to make sense of why our, our thought patterns and our reactions and our situation has played out as it has. That's the utility of looking back into the past, but it has to be only a part of your journey. And that's how I feel about diagnostic labels too. I've seen it with so many of my listeners where they said, you know, I really felt that a diagnosis really helped me because it helped me feel validated in the symptoms that I was experiencing. I I got some therapy. I got myself out of crisis mode. But then they, they move into this period of feeling stuck. And while they're not in crisis mode, wanting to fucking kill themselves every day, like myself, I was there right along with you, if that's been you, they're like, what's the fucking point of all of this? There comes a point where diagnosis doesn't help looking into the past and blaming your parents or or it's the situation doesn't help anymore either you want to find out what's the meaning of it all and you want to find out that there are ways where you can get yourself unstuck 
And the best way to do that is to not become identified with your emotions and your feelings. It's the only way. And so this week, I'm asking you to see if you can give yourself a little bit of a challenge where you monitor your thoughts. Try and see how often you let the words, actions, and situations around you pull you in to familiar dramatic brain loops that have probably been keeping you stuck your whole life. For me, some of those look like when when someone says something to me, I always make it about myself. If someone's in a bad mood, it's my fault. And this all makes sense. It's important that I offer myself compassion in these moments because I go, look, Molly, you grew up in an environment where you had to be constantly on alert for the moods of the people that took care of you, specifically my dad. And he knows this. We've talked about it. But my dad's moods ruled our whole house. If my dad wasn't happy, no one was happy. And so I had to be constantly on alert. I remember cleaning my house, like my whole house as a child and doing that just so that maybe my parents would notice when they got home and give me praise. I strove to get A's in school because I wanted to be good. And then I did bad shit to get attention, like shoplifting. It was like there was no rhyme or reason. But I always had to be, I was always constantly on the lookout for the moods of people around me. Are you doing that? Are you still doing that? Because it was adaptive when you were a child. It helped keep you safe. Or at least it kept you safe sometimes. But as an adult, you don't have to do that anymore. So when you're constantly monitoring the moods and behaviors of other people, other people who are not your family, in your family unit, this dysfunctional family unit you were probably raised in, they're looking around going... Why is this person being such a people pleaser? It like maybe your behavior puts people off or pushes them away. I know mine certainly did. And that's when I recognized, ah, I'm caught in these loops. I'm caught in the matrix. And I didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to find out who I was, who I actually was. Underneath all of these copy and paste behaviors that... I adopted as a child because of the dysfunction. All right, everyone, that is it for today's preview of my second podcast, My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health. If you want to listen to the rest of that episode, you will need to become a premium subscriber or a premium submarine, as we call them over here in Back from the Borderline Land. All you need to do is go to backfromtheborderline.com and click unlock premium and you can select your adventure from there. It's super quick and super easy. In the rest of the episode, we dive deeper into that concept of how we don't become overly identified with these thought and shame spirals. And I also read a few emails from my premium submarines and respond to successes and struggles they're having in their recovery journey. So come and join us. We'd love to welcome you into the premium submarine family. But if not, 
I will see you right back here next Tuesday. If you haven't already and you're new, make sure you follow the podcast and your podcast app so you get notified when I drop new episodes and follow us on Instagram at Back From The Borderline. Join us, join it. Just, you know, just settle into the community more. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, that's it for me. Love you lots and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back From The Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon book list recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.